This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Welcome to the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, 10th episode Spectacular, which we are celebrating in no other way than me saying that just now. I, of course, am Glenn Butler, and I am joined tonight by my brother Scott Butler. Scott, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Fine. Ooh, fine is never that good. Uh, Today on the podcast, we have a repeat subject, in a way. And we have a repeat guest, in a way, because we are reclosing the X-Files. As the 10th season has ended, we are going to revisit it, and to do that, I need to bring in my X-Files news and information guy, Mr. Andy Halleen. Andy, do you still want to believe? No. Okay! (laughs) That's a much better answer than mine. That might be an unfortunate reflection on the miniseries that we've just witnessed, but... We're going to get there. Uh, The structure of this episode is just going to be that we are going to go through the six episodes. Since it's only six episodes, we can really kind of figure the whole thing at once. We're going to go through the episodes one by one, give a quick thumbs up, thumbs down for each of us, and talk a little bit about it. Obviously, it's going to be a little quicker for episode two, since we talked about that a little in the last episode, and then we'll go into more detail for the others. Uh, We're going to start here with episode two, because one and six are really a two-parter even though there are four episodes in between, which is just the way that this season's been structured. But we're going to get into that whole two-parter and its resolution, such as it is, and its implications more toward the end of the show. So we are going to do episode two, Founder's Mutation, which, like I said, we talked about a little bit, so we can go through it a little more quickly. Uh, Scott, thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh, definitely thumbs up for me. I, I think I said this in the last episode. I really enjoyed this episode. And I have a feeling I'm going to say this a lot in this podcast, that it was just really, it was just a really sort of nostalgia hit to see an X-Files episode, you know, and not like all wrapped up in the whole conspiracy mess and not getting lost up its own ass with various minutiae, but just a nice regular X-Files episode where something weird is happening and they investigate it. And they have a couple of them in this abbreviated season, but that was the first one, and they did it well, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, that nostalgia is definitely something they were trading on for a lot of this uh, season, where they tried to do a sort of tour around different X-Files styles. Uh, Andy, Founder's Mutation, what do you say? 
Well, um, you can't see my thumbs, but I am. I have both of them up. Um, when I first watched it on the initial airing, I was kind of like mixed, and I think I might have said that in the podcast. Um, but after watching it again and like revisiting it, I really liked it, and I liked the imagery where like uh, the lady who is going to give birth to that baby out in the street, uh, she like cuts the baby out, and the little hand popped out. That was like one of the cool X Files visuals that was missing. Yeah, that was that was definitely an X Files sort of creepy thing happening. You know, kind of like the uh, the creepy Wonder Twins at the end of the episode as well. Oh yeah, um, um, definitely. And and it also weaved in the uh, alien DNA storyline that they have for this season in a way that didn't feel all that forced because fertility clinics and hospitals and birthing centers and that sort of thing was a place that the X-Files was often want to go to find some creeps and scares. Yeah, it worked in the alien DNA stuff and it worked in the stuff about William and neither of them felt horned in or out of the blue or anything like that. I really liked, yeah, the uh, how they were both kind of maybe reflecting on what it would be like to still have their child. And then they kind of, like, their good thoughts kind of turned into, like, a nightmare. And it was like Mulder, he thought back to Samantha being abducted, and then Scully thought maybe, like, the DNA would affect William. And I guess it kind of later it does, but so her fears come true. Yeah, those little dream sequences, I think, were decently done for what they were, but they did feel just a little bit treacly. And that's kind of a feel that they got to, again... A little later, which we'll talk about. I really, really, really liked those dream sequences. I liked how Scully's was so sort of mundane and also focused on getting the kid educated, which <laughs> yeah, fits true. for Scully. And Mulder's, even in his dream idealized parenthood scenario, he's still like the weird alien guy, you know, showing his four year old 2001. He's the weird dad. <laughs> Yeah, that, that bit was fun. I wonder if William, he um, he sleeps on a couch like his dad. You know, he doesn't even own a bed. <laughs> but I really like the contrast there, where Mulder's all like, I'm going I'm to show my kid Stanley Kubrick movies, and I'm going to teach my kid to launch rockets out in the backyard, and Scully's and- all like, I'm going to comfort my kid when he's hurt, and I'm going to be with him on his first day of school. Yeah, yeah, definitely. On that note, we are going to move on to episode three of this miniseries, Mulder and Scully Meet the Were Monster. Andy, thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, I'm going like Roger Ebert. Um, I'm going uh, two thumbs up for that one. Cool. What, what did you think of it? Uh, well, I liked how it really kind of like was a satire on life. And it was like through the eyes of the monster. He's like, what the hell is going on? Um, like, Why do I have to go get a job? And then... He got a puppy, and that was probably the best part in the whole episode where he had that dog. Yeah, the, the total inversion of what you might expect is something that was really well done and a classic X-Files way to tell that story, where in a lot of older uh, classic episodes, and a lot of the episodes written by the same people, they take a concept and kind of investigate it in a way that hasn't been done a lot before, or in a way that's a little sideways and funny. And to have the human be the thing that's monstrous was just a great inversion. I thought that part of it was really, really well done. Uh, Scott, what did you think of this episode? I loved this episode. I, I, I thought this was the best of this season. 
this is probably the best X-Files episode since the millennium. Uh, I really, I loved this episode so much. This fit right in in those that series of like sort of sideways humorous X Files episodes, like Jose Chung, like Clyde Bruckman, like the uh, the vampire episode with Luke Wilson, just sort of taking a cockeyed look at things. In this episode again, it did it really, really well. This was again, it was sort of the nostalgia hit of oh look, it's an X Files episode, but this was like a really fucking good X Files episode. It was done so well. Yeah, it was part of the tour of different X-Files styles, and, and this was, hey, let's do an X-Files comedy episode. But they did that over the course of the four episodes, and some of them were done adequately, where you could just sort of sit back and enjoy it. Like, yeah, this is why this is I remember liking this back in the mid-90s, but this was fucking great. This wasn't just, hey, this is a solid X-Files episode. I enjoy this because I remember enjoying other ones. This is a great episode. It would have been a great episode if it was in season three. Oh, yeah. The other thing about that episode that is so good, not just like the writing and the humor, is there were so many like Easter eggs for like fans to kind of pick out different stuff. Like, uh, um, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the tombstones in, I guess, the cemetery, one of them uh, was an old director from the series who um, he moved on to uh, Supernatural, I guess, and directed a bunch of those episodes. His name was Kim Manners. And then even like in the beginning of the episode, like the stoner people were also from a couple from season three. I think the cockroach episode was what they were in. Yeah, I, I did notice a couple of those Easter eggs. I noticed that the tombstone said, let's kick some ass, uh, <laughs> as, as, as Kim Manners' epigraph, which, I mean, I'd put that on my tombstone if I had one, I guess. <laughs> uh, and, of course, uh, whenever Scully is with a dog, you, you always remember poor, poor Queequeg. Yeah, it was a nice callback to Queequeg. I liked how twice Mulder admonished Scully for rushing to encounter a dangerous fugitive on her own and then immediately rushed off to encounter a dangerous fugitive on his own. (laughs) Well, of course, that's just how Mulder is. (laughs) Uh, I'm absolutely giving a thumbs up to this episode, too. There was just one thing that I was a little uncomfortable with, and that was the uh, trans character, I think, was treated a little stereotypically, especially in the scene that she was actually in, where where she immediately outed herself in a way that I don't think a lot of real people actually do, because it can be really dangerous. Especially when dealing with the feds? Especially when dealing with law enforcement, yes. Yeah, that was sort of... I mean, they didn't treat her badly in the scene, but having a trans woman as a prostitute is it really was sort of a flashback to how badly trans characters have been portrayed on a lot of cop shows. Yeah, definitely. And while like you say she wasn't abused by the characters or by the story, yeah, or she anything. wasn't abused or denigrated by anybody, but just the depiction of a trans woman as a prostitute is just so fucking stereotypical. Yes. And it, it reminded me more than anything of the repeated use of trans women as prostitutes on NYPD Blue over the years. Yeah, definitely a um, uncomfortable mark on that show as well. But again, the rest of the episode was great. And I understand that they're going for a sort of mirroring and a sort of symbolism between a transgender identity and like a trans species identity with guy-man... The brilliantly named Guy Man. Guy Man. But I don't think it came off the way it was supposed to. 
Yeah, I kind of see that because there was wasn't this scene where he's talking with Mulder and he's like, "Well, you can get an operation or something." Uh, isn't there something like that? Well, yeah, he it Prince kind of, of trades on the anxieties that a lot of cis people have over the mere idea of general reassignment. It's sort of portrayed... I don't know if it's portrayed, but you can see it as like an extension of his own anxiety about himself. Like, he's disgusted with himself because he's turned into a human. And so now he's when he's told, well, you know, a male human can turn into a female human or vice versa or whatever, and he is similarly displeased with that sort of transformation as he is with this transformation that's been forced on him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I see the analogy there. I see the, the symbolism there, but... I really liked how Mulder sort of defended the idea. Like, the reaction of Guy-Man is basically the reaction most people have on these shows. Is like, ugh, really? Ugh, I don't like that. That makes me uncomfortable. And really what I was sort of expecting out of this was for Mulder to do something like, ugh, yeah, I get you, but, you know, whatever, teach their own, which frankly would have been better than the subject is portrayed in a lot of shows but Mulder was really sort of out there like no really it's happened more and more accepted and you know hey if people want to do it and these people you know that's how these people want to be and whatever Mulder really sort of defended the idea a lot better than I generally tend to expect from a mass media production true well there's a lot of room between what you might expect from a mass media production and what you might expect from network TV and what you might sort of think of as like a perfect representation. Like if it was something the episode was actually about. But again, I don't think it's a huge damning thing against the episode, but it's one thing that I've seen perspectives from trans people online being kind of uncomfortable with, and I understand how that happens. Our next episode, as we go barreling through this season... Home again. Scott, thumbs up, thumbs down. What did you think of this episode? I enjoyed this episode. I mean, I'll give it a thumbs up, but this is another one where it's not a stellar episode, like the Wear Monster. It's more sort of just a regular X-Files episode, and if it were like one of 26 in the season, and one of 96 that I'd seen in the last three years, it wouldn't stand out at all. It would just be sort of blah, but as like one of four... And the first ones that I've seen in 15 years, it was a nice, enjoyable episode. Yeah, this episode is where I think the six-episode limitation kind of stunted them. Because it's really two entirely different concepts that are kind of mushed together. Like, after I saw it, I kind of felt like the X-Files creepy episode about the trash man killing gentrifiers, which, go ahead, kill the gentrifiers... Uh, I thought that episode got a little shortchanged for all the stuff about Scully's mother dying, but then I thought that the melancholy acceptance of death story about Scully and her mother kept getting interrupted by this standalone thing about the trash man. So both stories, I think, could make a very good episode, but I don't really think they're two tastes that taste great together. Uh, Andy, thumbs up, thumbs down, what do you think? Well, um, I'd have to go like thumbs in the middle, but now that I'm thinking about it, like when you guys were just talking about it, um, I have to kind of maybe lean a little up because at first I thought it was kind of like a real bad mismatch of like styles. But now I think um, that the trash man thing might not have worked as well on its own because the ending kind of came when Scully 
kind of like reflected on what her um, mom said and then it kind of tied in to the other part of the plot. So I think they kind of work together. Yeah, that's true. The The Trashman plot went pretty much unresolved. To an extent, yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's a something lot. they did a lot on, the, on X-Files. Something weird is happening and they think they figured out why it's happening, but they can never really quite catch up with it and then whatever monster or entity or whatever just sort of moves on and they're left with nothing. That happened a lot on the series. Yeah, like- early seasons did kind of end that way i think even to go back to like a bad one but that jersey devil it just kind of walked away and kind of let it go see i didn't think the jersey devil was that bad yeah i liked the jersey devil although i I liked it mostly because i'm not sure i saw it first run i may have missed it and only seen it in a rerun but i feel like i saw the jersey devil after like a string of arc episodes and so so it was sort of like a nice reprieve like oh here's a nice regular case Rather than all this arc heavy stuff. Well, actually, that does kind of tie in with this one, anyways, because when I first <laughs> watching this um, Trash Man episode, I thought back to that one because of all the homeless people on the street. I remembered in the Jersey Devil, Mulder, he gives up his hotel room to spend the night on the street. And I'm like, man, is he going to do the same thing again, live with the homeless people and find out what's going on? <laughs> Oh, that that might have been a, a little heavy handed, even in an episode where a bunch of gentrifiers get murderized. <laughs> I thought it was kind of interesting that the trash man entity was killing the people that wanted to make the homeless people move to a new shelter in the hospital. And then he also killed the woman that was trying to stop them from making the homeless people move into the new shelter in the hospital. You can take away from that either that this entity trying to act on behalf of the homeless is really indecisive on the issue, or that the homeless just catch it from both sides and everyone needs to die. Well, maybe it was like like what the guy said. The thing kind of became its own thing, and it kind of got away from its original intent, maybe? They kind of lost control of it, a little like the demon in that um, Arcadia. Yeah, where the guy had the same thing. It was like he had a trash monster. Yeah. The most disappointing thing about this episode is is when I saw the title Home Again, I was sort of thinking it might have been related to the original episode Home. That is something that a lot of people thought. Uh, Someone said in an interview I saw, like, well before the miniseries premiered, that it wasn't a sequel to Home, just to kind of quell that anticipation early, because that is obviously a popular episode, an episode that's definitely memorable. But at the same time, I'm not sure how you do a sequel to it that's really all that satisfying. Well, if you find the family again and, uh, I don't know, do something. Well, the further adventures of the Peacock family. They're still fucked up. Yeah, they actually did do that, though. I haven't read yeah, it, but... I, I, was, I was wondering, did they do that in the comic books? Yeah, they did that in season 10. And they even, like, revisited uh, the Fluke Man, too. There should be a whole new generation by now. A whole new yeah. generation of peacocks and fluke men and peacock flute men. Oh my god. Oh my god, if Peacock meets the fluke man, like like Abbott and Costello met the werewolf. Like Mulder and Scully met the Weremonster. <laughs> that's oh, my, um, that's my OTP. Mama Peacock and the Fluke Man. With that home again title, I actually did read uh, the writer's Glenn Morgan. He had an interview with Entertainment Weekly. I think it was posted online like right after that episode aired. And he said he picked Home Again as a joke, almost like trolling the fans, wanting them to think it was going to be that. <laughs> oh, man, there's a whole lot of trolling they could have done there. Like, imagine if it was still this episode, but they laid a Johnny Mathis song over the opening. Oh, <laughs> man. Well, they did have a song, like old uh, song while the lady was being murdered. 
Oh, did they? I already forgot. They could yeah. have played a Johnny Mathis song during each murder. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, it turns out the entity is like the ghost of one of the family. Dude, it could have worked. I, I think we're writing our own fanfic again. <laughs> <laughs> the next episode we are going to discuss is Babylon which has seemed like a divisive episode from opinions that I've seen. Andy, what did you think of this episode? I did not like it pretty much at all. Yeah, um, I'm probably the only decisive one out of the people that I talked to. I'm the only one that really didn't like it because you even told me that you heard Scott laughing from the basement. So I, I think everybody that I know loved it, and I'm the only uh, oddball. I just feel like it was totally off the wall from a lot of other X-Files. Like, there's so much, like, modern pop music in there. Then uh, the trip uh, that Mulder went on was probably the highlight, but it was just really weird and out of place because it seemed like it was like a comedy, but the rest of the episode wasn't a comedy. So it was, I don't know, it just seemed really out of place in there. I get that criticism. If you want to say the whole Mulder trip sequence belonged in an episode like The Wear Monster, whereas the rest of this is an episode like Founder's Mutation. Yeah, the other thing about the trip, though, too, was it was really weird. It, it kind of uh, was really weird that the smoking man was, like, whipping his son. And I was just kind of like, well, that's kind of odd. And then- Well, we've always <laughs> known that Mulder is into some weird shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The drug trip that Mulder goes on I thought was a perfect plot device for the X-Files and a perfect plot device for Mulder specifically because it's completely random and useless and yet because this is the X-Files and he's the star of the show it solves the case. That is also something that happens in a lot of episodes where Mulder does something crazy and at first you just think he's crazy and what he did turns out to be random and useless and then at the end it turns out that the thing Mulder did solves the case. I Which, guess it's more like Fringe or something. The the drug aspect of it is definitely reminiscent of Fringe, for sure. I wasn't crazy about that whole idea. Like, well, taking drugs actually lets you access another plane of existence. That just seems like kind of a hokey idea that, like, almost doesn't even fit with Mulder. Like, Mulder believed a lot of far-out shit, but he was never depicted as gullible, you know? He was never depicted as someone who would just believe anything. He would believe stuff that made sense to him, even though it seemed to contradict science, but he wouldn't just believe anything he came across. And the whole shrooms connect you to an alternate plane of existence just seems like the kind of thing that some hippie would suggest to Mulder and he would brush them off with like a you give my work a bad name kind of vibe. See, I think it really fits in with a lot of the episodes early in the series, I think, where Mulder would take random leads that like a person saw something weird and we're going to go investigate it because it's aliens. Or look at this video I bought from a secret magazine. It's a totally an alien autopsy. <laughs> you know, these these leads, quote-unquote leads, that Mulder would pull from random places, but because this is the X-Files, they're actual leads, and it actually is aliens. I did kind of like the way they showed how, like, Scully is sort of dragging Agent M something, and I have no idea what that guy's name is. He's been in two episodes now, and I, I saw it two weeks ago, and then again last week, and I have no idea what that guy's name is. He's so bland and generic. I know it begins with an M, and I have no idea what his name is. Matthews or... Miller. Miller? <laughs> Agent Miller and Agent Einstein. Einstein yes. I can remember. 
But Agent McGillicuddy. Okay. Um, Agent M something sort of gets dragged, kicking and screaming into Scully's actual science-based investigation. Yeah, those combinations, like, when they introduced Miller and Einstein, obviously it's just a, you know, X-Files, the next generation kind of thing. Yeah. But then when they pair off with Mulder and Scully, I thought those combinations worked much better than Miller and Einstein together. But we never really got to see Miller and Einstein together. Yeah, just a tiny little bit. Um, I don't want to. Yeah. Oh, you, you don't want to see a new 25-episode season with Miller and Einstein? No. No, they tried it before with Doggett and Reyes, and then look what happened. It got canceled. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if you have some good ideas for episodes, rather than whatever they did in season 9, maybe you could do something. Yeah, but not with that name Einstein. It sounds like he couldn't come up with anything better. So he's like, oh, she's smart, so let's call her Einstein. You mean if they really wanted to do something that was like Scully, the next generation, they would have named him after another sports announcer? Yes, a- Agent Matthews and Agent... Agent Carey. <laughs> <laughs> the X-Files, a tradition like no other. <laughs> it is high, it is far, it is a UFO! Bodacious, loquacious, at the hearing. <laughs> Sports announcers. <laughs> this criminal case could go all the way. I also like the way they depicted Homeland Security in the episode, especially considering it's on the Fox network. They really showed the racism inherent in a lot of the Homeland Security people and the rampant stupidity and xenophobia. Of the people that support them, with, with with the racist nurse, and all of this, again, on the Fox network. I found that very interesting. See, that gets into the part of the episode that I really, really did not like. Which was the fact that they took the boring, old, bigoted storyline of introducing a Muslim at the beginning of the sh- episode, who of course blows up a building... And who is depicted as the most stereotypical, boring Muslim terrorist. Not to mention, the, the idea of an active terrorist cell in Texas is more outlandish than the alien conspiracies, but whatever. But for them to take the story in that direction, when there are ways of twisting it into an actual X-Files story right there. They have the Homeland Security goons right there. Just a few episodes after Martin O'Malley talked about the government using so-called terrorist attacks as a smokescreen for experiments or infections or whatever they're doing in the conspiracy, whatever the conspiracy is this week. But there are so many outlets to do an X-Files story with that, to just do a bog-standard, stereotypical terrorist story was extremely disappointing to me. Well, the terrorism isn't the focus of the episode. The episode's not about the terrorism. The episode is about the reaction to the attack and the attempts to communicate with the coma victim. Yeah, but you can do that without having him be an actual terrorist. 
Well, who is he if he's not an actual terrorist? Why are they trying to question him then? They're trying to question him because they think he's the terrorist, but then Mulder goes into his dream vision and sees the Homeland Security goons. I don't know. I didn't have that much of a problem with that aspect of the episode. It's not like it's impossible to imagine a group of Muslims who interpret their religion in such a way that leads them to become terrorist bombers. It's not like that's impossible to conceive of. It's not impossible, but to reiterate it in such a stock way on a major television show, I don't think is right. I mean, it's not like they dwelled on it that much. Like I said, that wasn't the focus of the episode. No, it was totally a background element. So so much so that at the end of the episode, the feds raid a bunch of Muslims and it's just a thing that's panned away from on the TV. As if... But it's not like that's the whole focus of the episode is, ooh, look, Muslims are scary. The episode is much more about Homeland Security is scary and nurses from Texas are scary. No, it's a total background element that didn't need to be there. When there are better stories and better X-Files stories right there. I mean, X-Files is about uncovering the truth behind the standard stories that you're fed. X-Files is about how the world is bigger and weirder than you know, and that the truth is to be found behind the standard story. Well, the one thing that was weird with me is like... How it seemed too, like, modern, or like Chris Carter tried to make it kind of relevant by using some kind of current event. Except the X-Files never really used current events. It wasn't like Law and Order, where they, um, they usually use, like, a current event and then write it into a story. It felt too, like, real, you know? Like, this is supposed to be escapism, but it's, it's a real uh, thing that occurs, you know? I think, Andy, what you're saying gets into a couple things that I'm kind of uncomfortable about in the mythology two-parter that we are going to talk about next. Although I guess I am contradicting myself because I said earlier, and I still believe it, I kind of like how they do tie in some of those real-world science-y things. Like how I said I liked how there was like an actual World War II like submarine and a World War II like pilot thing went under uh, water like a plane. Yeah, but by the, <laughs> by the 90s when they were doing that stuff, that was just about 50 years old, and so... They were using things in history the same way that they used the Kennedy assassination in the uh, Cancer Man biography episode. Yeah, so I see what you're saying. It would have been better if maybe this episode had, instead of the kid being like a terrorist and working with other terrorists, maybe if, if it was actually the Homeland Security was bad, right? Yeah, well, the Homeland Security goons were, were already bad in the episode. I just think that they could have gone farther and made them the actual culprits. Yeah, and that would kind of work more with how, like, the cigarette-smoking man, he works with the government and he's evil, and then, like, these guys could have been, yeah, the same kind of plot, I guess. Yeah, because X-Files often has suspicions about the military, about other people in the FBI, about the CIA, and the few times they touch on the CIA. And so there's this expectation built in that they're going to turn the story that way, and I was kind of disappointed when they didn't. I think that topic kind of monopolized our discussion of the episode. What other elements of the episode would you like to discuss? What other elements did you like or dislike, Scott? I thought the whole sequence with Mulder's mushroom trip was hilarious. With the, with the, the square dancing and the 
just the shots of him walking down the hall, even, and everyone sort of staring at him as he just sort of bops his way by. That whole sequence was incredible. I, I really liked that. That was one time I really liked the combination of him with Agent Einstein when she tried to tell, was it the doctors, the Homeland Security people, or whoever, that, you know, the other agent is doing something very important. And they point out, yeah, he left. <laughs> <laughs> that, I thought, was great. I thought Einstein was, was the perfect straight man to Mulder through that whole sequence. And you loved that drug trip, and you didn't even notice the lone gunman. Yeah. No, I, I blinked and missed the lone gunman cameo. I have to go back and like watch it on YouTube it's, or something. Yeah, they had to find some way to bring them back, because it was kind of a poor decision to kill them off in the first place. Well, they could have just brought them back. I mean, they did it with enough of people in the finale. Um, they actually did in the comic book series that I referenced earlier. It was like season 10, and it came out like two years ago. So they've kind of like... I kind of wish they would have went with the season 10 comic books for this uh, series, but they brought them back. Like, Mulder went to, like, the graveyard where they were buried, the Washington Arlington National Cemetery. They buried the lone gunman in Arlington? Yeah, like, didn't they do that in that episode? Like, they gave them, like, a military-type funeral where they oh, have... Oh, black- they were probably all Vietnam vets, weren't they? Oh, God, am I totally forgetting the end of that episode, then? I remember the funeral. I don't remember it being at Arlington. That's amazing. Well, maybe they did... I don't know how, uh, but like I think Mulder, he had he kind of went into some mausoleum and went down there, and the gunman said that they faked their death, something like they owed so much money to the IRS, maybe or something like that. So they faked their deaths and <laughs> like helping them out and stuff in the comic books. So. Oh, that's good. That's cool. I have to refresh my memory and go back over those comic books. Maybe I should have been more prepared for the podcast. Hey, we all could have been prepared for this. We, we decided to do this about an hour and a half ago. <laughs> On that note, we are going to take a break. Try to prepare for the next part of the podcast. Read some comic books, maybe. And listen to some ads for the podcast network that this podcast and so many other podcasts are on. We will be back in two and one half minutes. See you then. Consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly. Make sure you check out every episode of The Kevin Kelly Show right here on the Place to Be Nation. PlaceToBeNation.com, The Kevin Kelly Show. Every episode is a winner. At least we hope. Place to Be Nation's Justin Rosero here. In addition to The Kevin Kelly Show, we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes at PlaceToBeNation.com. You can check out Scott Criscolo and me on The Mothership, The Place to Be Podcast, with our famous Vintage Vault pay-per-view reviews. PTBN also covers current day wrestling with Main Event, Mission Indie Possible, and our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows with immediate feedback on WWE, NXT, and Ring of Honor Super Shows. And Relive Wrestling's Past with our monthly pay-per-view rewind series, led by Ben Morse, and the Dangerous Alliance Wrestling Podcast as we dive into various subjects in the form of exercises and games. we got sports covered, too, with the Sports Evolution Mega Show with Scott 
Dr. G, Cowboy and Cowboy Senior, the Kings of Sport, led by live audio wrestling's godfather Nate Milton, as well as the NBA team podcast and the TJ McClune Show. PTBN tackles pop culture and irreverence with Richard and the Mailman, the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular. And if you like a hybrid of all of this in list form, check out Jordan Duncan's Rank and File. All of these shows are available on PlaySubiNation.com, where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments and more. We want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island, and Fall River, Massachusetts, and Scott Keats' Blog of Doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as well. PlaySubiNation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. This is Parv, and I'm here to tell you to listen and subscribe to the Pro Wrestling Only Place to Be Nation podcast network. That's the PWO PTBN podcast network, where you'll find a ton of in-depth shows done by hardcore fans. We've got Chris Zellner's one-two punch of Exile on Bad Street and with David Bickenspan, a smash hit between the sheets. We've got Wrestling Culture with Dylan Hales and Dave Musgrave. Goodwill Wrestling and the reaction shows with Good Old Will from Texas. We got This Week in Wrestling with my man Pete and Johnny Sorrow. Stephen Graham and Tim Livingston's Pro Wrestling Super Show. Tag Teams Back Again with Kelly and Marty Slees. And a ton of other great shows too. And of course there's Titans of Wrestling and Where the Big Boys Play with yours truly and some dude from down south called Chad. PWO, PTBN, Podcast Network. Nobody needs me. I need you there with me. I need your expertise. And we are back. Scott, I think you have a little splaining to do. No, no, I don't. I don't. I'm, I apologized last time. I am not going to apologize again. I no longer apologize for this. This is just what we do on the Spectacular Hour now. PETA needs all the reassurance he can get. PETA needs reassurance from all over the world of popular culture. <laughs> and God damn it, we're going to see that he gets it. We're going to see that he gets reassurance and positive reinforcement. Don't we all need positive reinforcement in life? <laughs> anyway, I'm Glenn, that was Scott, Andy's here too. Next up, first and last, but not least, except to some perhaps. Yeah, don't say that so soon. We are going to discuss the 10th season premiere and finale my Struggle, Parts 1 and 2. I don't know what they're calling these episodes in Germany. Uh, but I hope it's something else. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, your thoughts on the episode, Scott. These were my least favorite episodes of the season. Which sort of continues the pattern of like the last three or four episodes of the regular series, where the arc episodes were becoming my least favorite. Just because the arc got too involved. And this time they sort of... They cleared up the arc by basically saying that everything Mulder and Scully investigated in the first nine seasons was bullshit. Now that Martin O'Malley has showed up with this new information. But still, these arc episodes were my by far the, my least favorite of the season. And the finale just seemed so... Scattershot. Like, things came out of nowhere. Things just sort of started happening. And there was no particular reason why or why it was happening at that moment. And it seemed kind of disjointed. So it was it was not my favorite. 
Andy, how about you? Well, as much as much hatred as I have for that, there's actually some stuff that I liked. And I'd almost, except for the last four minutes of that second episode, or I mean like the sixth episode, except for the ending, I almost would have said that I could enjoy the first and the sixth more than the stuff that happened in the middle. And it almost made me think that I'd rather just have that fleshed out across like four episodes instead of two. I like that William was kind of like brought back like, um, and he was mentioned throughout almost every single episode. So I would have rather had William just show up in episode six instead of still being hinted at. And maybe, see, he, maybe he did. Um, well, it seemed kind of lazy to me. Like you're building, building, building to William and then, poof, you know, and it's like you only have six episodes. So why not just kind of, I don't know, just write it and have William in there and kind of don't just base it on, well, like Fox likes it. So they want to bring it back. Well, they wanted to bring it back for movies, and that took six years. And my friend even sent me a text. He's like, if they make this in five years, is Mulder still going to be dying for five years? Um, you know, I don't know. It just <laughs> it just seems like Chris Carter, he just hopes that he's going to have another thing, so he kind of leaves stuff hanging. And Well, I'm sure he wants to believe. Yeah, well, it seems like a slap in the face to some fans. It's like, why not just put all your eggs in a basket and boom, go at it. I don't think it's a slap in the face to have a cliffhanger. And I don't think it's a slap in the face even to have the cliffhanger the way they did. Um, It's bold, certainly, because with only six episodes, you are making and finishing, uh, certainly writing the sixth episode way before anything goes to screen and you see what the ratings are. So if this had totally flopped, then you would be reading season 11 comics in a couple of years. I kind of liked that it ended on a cliffhanger. You know, kind of like the Dallas finale, except I thought it was done a little better than the Dallas finale. Because that was sort of a desperate grasp at a last-minute cliffhanger rather than something that was actually built toward. I just thought it was a really stupid cliffhanger. Yes, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I could kind of buy the part where she said, okay, we need to find William to save him. But then, boom, here comes in this UFO, and it's like, uh, they never um, really showed a UFO like that. They always were kind of like, Mulder might have been the only one to see a UFO, or uh, the girl was blown up. She's the only one to see the UFO, and it blows her up. Now there's like, what, like 100 cars on the freeway, and here comes some UFO. So it's like... Well, that's kind of reminiscent of Scully and Mrs. Spender in the big group waiting to get abducted, right? I think that's the only other time I can remember a big crowd scene with a UFO hovering overhead. The sudden need for William at the end was pretty fucking stupid, too. I mean, the whole stem cell thing just came out of complete nowhere. And what stem cell are you going to get from a 16-year-old? Yeah, the, the science in this episode... I don't typically like complaining about the science and science fiction because it strikes me as kind of missing the point. But a lot of this episode was about Scully and Einstein doing science. And that was a dynamic that I really liked. And I really liked that a lot of the episode was about these two women doing a lot of science. It's just that the science they were doing felt really arbitrary. Scully really felt like Mulder in a way, because she was jumping to one conclusion and then saying, we have to do this and this and this, and we'll do these tests to prove this conclusion. And then in the next scene, Scully wanted to run off and do something else, and Einstein said, well, don't you want to wait and see what happens with my test? And Scully said, 
I don't think I need to see your test, and ran off to do the next thing, and then decided she needed, needed to do something completely different, so needed to go back to the lab and rush to do all the science. That is something that happens a lot when they do one of these dynamics of the believer and the skeptic, is that they don't just work with the dynamic of the believer and the skeptic, they go the extra step of making the believer act as crazy as possible. Like, it's not enough that the believer believes things that the skeptic thinks is crazy. They also make the believer act crazy. I will say uh, that, like, one thing that I did like, because I guess I was negative about the cliffhanger, here is one thing I really liked. I fucking loved the smoking man being back in that whole middle section with the smoking man. It was probably worth the whole six-episode run just to see him again. William Davis really, really is some actor, right? I mean, how does he make the word Monica so creepy? <laughs> and and the, the, I, I really liked the whole bit with Reyes. I think at some point in the X-Files, they had to have one of the heroes of the show actually take a deal from Cancer Man. I thought that was what Krychek did. Krychek was never on their side. They revealed, in, they revealed in his first episode that he was with Cancer Man. You know, he immediately turned heel as soon as he was on the show. So they had to have one of the heroes of the show at some point, you know, be a solid star or pseudo star, whatever you want to say about season nine of the show and take a deal from Cancer Man just to show that dynamic. And I like that they did it with Agent Reyes. I suppose they couldn't get Robert Patrick back because that might have been interesting. But I, I really like that they did that. I think bringing her back in that guise was interesting. It was a much more interesting thing to do with her if you could get her back for one episode than just randomly having her be an FBI agent somewhere. Oh gosh, you're back on the X-Files. Isn't that cool? Because that's what I thought that she was going to be. She was going to come back and maybe like have info on like William. Because in that reopening the X-Files little 20-minute um, behind-the-scenes thing, uh, they showed her sitting with Scully. And I thought maybe... Uh, or actually, she's the one, I think, in season nine that kind of gave Scully a location or um, where to put uh, the kid up for adoption, right? Yeah, she was heavily involved with William in his adoption story when he was born, obviously. Yeah, so I just thought maybe she was just going to pop up and say, okay, William is like still with this family or something. But I actually liked that she took that deal because it's probably the most interesting way that they've used her. She seemed really bland to me. And then here it was like, wow, maybe she actually was a cool character after all. And the other cool part about that scene, too, is when she goes in and she sees a smoking man and he's sitting there all like kind of skin grafted and stuff. Then he just kind of clicks his two fingers together, motioning that he wants another cigarette. And I was like, ooh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, he's, he's sitting there burned. He's probably, you know, in a high oxygen environment or something. And all he can say is, God, man, I wish I had a cigarette. Yeah. Well, I think... I don't have anything else to say. Are we covering other stuff, or are we going to talk about the cliffhanger? I thought you didn't like the smoking man, so why don't you... Um, or um, you didn't like uh, the mythology, so why don't you go uh, into uh, that more in depth, I guess? I mean, in, in the original series, the mythology got really tired. I think we kind of disagreed on where that happened. Well... Yeah, did you not like the super soldiers? Because they um, really didn't mention them at all. I don't. I, I think I mostly. I, I think I saw like one or two episodes of the Super Soldiers, but I was already kind of giving up on the show by then. Really, as soon as Mulder was, even before Mulder was gone, I think I sort of stopped watching. I remember I watched the beginning of that next season with Doggett, but then I 
after a couple episodes, I kind of gave up on that. Yeah, because that was one thing that I guess I was talking with my grandma because I saw the first, uh, I saw the first couple with her. Then I didn't see Babylon with her, but I watched this final one with her. And after the episode, um, she made some comment about the super soldiers, and she said, "Well, who um, who blew him up with the missile?" Um, who blew up the smoking man and i don't even know that because um really if he's still back with the government right in the syndicate and stuff well if the government wanted to blow him up and take him out why would they kind of rebuild him or is it is this some kind of covert uh, like syndicate or something that he it really is kind of nebulous who he's with at any point in time especially since the creepy yacht club got burned up by the alien rebels Although now we're supposed to believe that there never were any alien rebels or any aliens, I still don't know what to make of that aspect of this miniseries. I, I, <laughs> I was pretty sure that by the end of the sixth episode that would be revealed to have been another layer of the conspiracy or whatever, especially since the conspiracy had previously just about convinced Mulder that everything he had learned was an elaborate hoax. So that, I thought, was an unsatisfying direction for the show to go, as much as it might have been necessary to clean the slate of something. Um, see, to try to make sense of it, um, last night I rewatched uh, that finale, and then I went back and I watched uh, the One Sun episode where they did, they blew up the syndicate, um, because I wanted to see if any of this uh, alien DNA kind of tied into what they said. And I kind of think maybe they did... Like he did kind of tie it in because it was like somehow the syndicate was going to work with the uh, uh, alien. They called them the colonists and they were going to, I guess, um, give them a hybrid in order to save themselves. Right. Um, they were trying to make a hybrid. And then in secret, they wanted to make a vaccine to the black oil. Well, uh, somehow, um, if the aliens were going to take over the planet, then how would they keep the syndicate? Maybe they did give the syndicates. Uh, injections of the DNA to save themselves, because otherwise, how would they um, be saved? Yeah, there were definitely things they were doing with disease in previous iterations of the mythology. Uh, there was the whole thing with the black oil being the alien virus that was going to wipe people out to make room for colonization. Uh, that was where the bees came in and all of those things. But to the extent that that was alluded to in this miniseries, I think it was kind of oblique. And of course, they can't stop and say, oh, this is like what we were investigating 15 years ago, Scully. 20 years ago. Well, then I'm just going to pretend, I guess, maybe the smoking man injected himself with alien DNA back then. And that's how he was able to kind of survive everything. So, Yeah, I mean, if we're going to try to tie it into everything that went before... Mulder got abducted in Season 8 and had his adventures in the naked throne chair that he appeared to be in for almost the entirety of Season 8. So he didn't get any tests done or any alien DNA like Scully did when she was abducted? Maybe uh, since aliens actually did abduct him or something, maybe, uh, maybe the super soldier project was different. I don't know. Yeah, the actual aliens abducted Mulder, but the fake alien syndicate people abducted Scully to test on her with alien DNA. It's, it's kind of like a Jose Chung situation, right? I was just thinking how the whole there aren't actually any aliens ties into the Jose Chung scenario where the aliens were actually CIA people in disguise or something. 
See, that's the other thing with that UFO that blew up the girl, um, Savetta, I guess. The alien ship or the alien reproduction vehicle, as you guys were saying in the uh, other podcast. Um, that beamed down that green light and blew her up. Um, so they're saying that were they saying then that that was aliens that blew her up? Or was that uh, the smoking man's men that blew her up the silencer? So well, then... Who's piloting uh, this UFO over uh, Scully and Mulder and Agent Miller? Is that the real aliens or is it the smoking man? And if he's going to um, fly a UFO and blow him up on the bridge, why didn't he just blow him up or uh, shoot him when he had him in his own house? Well, I know, Scott, that you have tons of theories on who is in that UFO. First... Do you think that that was the same person in the UFO in the cliffhanger as the scene where Sveta got blowed up real good? <laughs> well, there's really no way to know. We can only hope not. Because if it is, then odds are that what happened 10 seconds after the end of the finale is that Mulder and Scully and Agent Matthews got blowed up real good. Oh, dear. See, I thought that that was a clear implication because I don't think otherwise there would be much reason to put the UFO and Sveta getting blown up in the previously on recap at the beginning of the finale. Well, the previously on recap at the beginning of the finale was like five or ten minutes. That was a long fucking recap. Well, if, if you're also including the uh, Scully biography montage, which I thought was rather well done as a mirror to the Mulder one in part one. Yeah, that was but, good. Getting to your theories, I know you've been putting together a top ten list of people who might be on that ship, and it has about 20 people on it at this point, right? I, I have 18. 18 serious contenders. Ser serious? Yes. But can we all agree there's four possible outcomes of what happened ten seconds after the end of the finale? A, the ship could just blow them all up the way it blew up Sveta. B, they could come down from the ship or bring them up to the ship and cure Mulder. C, they could be there just for Scully and not for Mulder, and they try to take her somewhere for something that they care about, but Scully doesn't care about because she's trying to cure Mulder. Or D, it just sort of hovers around there and then leaves. <laughs> I like D. <laughs> it's just psych. I think one of those four things is what happened ten seconds after the end of the finale. I think that's a pretty comprehensive set of possibilities. Now, the question is, who is flying that ship? And as you said, right after the end of the finale, I commented that you could probably come up with 10 different options. And so I started listing them, and I currently have 18 different options of who could be flying that ship. Okay. It could be William, which is sort of implied. That's an obvious idea, yes. It could be aliens. <laughs> like, the actual aliens. Aliens as a broad category. It could be Cancer Man. <laughs> wow. And any of these people could be there for any of the four reasons. We don't, we don't necessarily know. Yeah, this, so is, there's this, like, is whole, this is a whole matrix of possibilities we're putting together. Yeah, there's like 18 times four different possibilities of who does what. But it could be William, it could be aliens, it could be Cancer Man. Um, sort of more outside the box thinking, it could be Skinner. <laughs> Maybe he came across this ship and went after his agents. It could. He, he did! I did note down when I was watching the finale for a second time, in the premiere, Mulder gave Skinner his phone number, and that was treated as a bit of a moment, because Skinner had no way to reach him, and it's like, now you have my phone number. But then, when we see Skinner actually call him, Mulder totally no-sells it. Yeah, Mulder's kind of a dick like that. Mulder's the worst! 
That whole thing seems really arbitrary, too. That Mulder's missing, and, and he's gone off half-cocked to confront Cancer Man again, and he hasn't told Scully. They always have to come up with some convoluted way that Mulder doesn't tell Scully what he's doing, except when they just have him not. <laughs> Scully never thinks to check on the location of his phone. It's Agent Matthews who does that. Through another great TV website. I mean, they have, in this episode, the return of the Mind Quad, but we also have phonefinder.biz. Did you notice? <laughs> I had this in the stuff I was IMing you, but I didn't record it in our podcast notes. I forget exactly when it was in the episode where somebody showed up and they had a laptop with the episode of Martin O'Malley on Mind Quad queued up to the exact right moment to begin playing. And the laptop was all booted up and ready to go with the video queued in an evidence bag. He like pulled this laptop out of an evidence bag, flipped it open and hit the button and boom, it started playing right at the particular point in the video. <laughs> like, don't put your running computer in an evidence bag. That's not good ventilation. Well, I mean, the Martin O'Malley show is always queued up to the exact moment our characters need to see it on every laptop they encounter. Speaking of which... It could be Martin O'Malley in the spaceship. Oh, goodness. Who knows? Maybe, you know, maybe he found another one. Maybe he said, okay, shit's going down. I gotta go find my friend Mulder and, and, and that Scully girl that I'm trying to bang. <sighs> Please don't remind me of shipping. I, th I, th I thought that was kind of a harsh put-down where, you know, he calls up Scully and he calls her Dana because they were on the date before and, and she starts calling him Mr. O'Malley. It's like, ooh, that's gotta hurt the ego. Harsh. Hey, I just had a thought. Is Martin O'Malley supposed to be the new, like, lone gunman now? Because he kind of gives Mulder that information. That they, <laughs> they always seem to have stuff queued up like that, too. Like, Mulder goes to talk to him. Hey, there's these people going crazy, and they're reading uh, these digital readouts. And they're like, well, look, did you know back in the 1950s there was this newsreel footage of all these guys? And it's like they always have everything queued up like that, too. I don't you know. can't see the face. Glenn looks like he's about to vomit. You can't see the face that I was making just then. When <laughs> you suggested, not without reason, I'm not coming down on you. When, <laughs> when you suggested that Martin O'Malley, the, the TV Glenn Beck, because Glenn Beck's not on TV anymore, I don't know, is the new lone gunman. <laughs> Sorry, I went a little prior right there. <laughs> Instead of them having a magazine, nobody reads magazines anymore. They read online or they watch videos. They're so on they the kinda... dark web. Yeah. <laughs> the, oh. the lone gunmen have got to be on the dark web. But woof. Well, that I'm... brings me to my next item on my top ten list. It could be the lone gunman in that spaceship. Yes. Hey, who knows? You know, maybe they've been hiding out on Mars. <laughs> That's why Mulder had that vision of them, because they're about to show up again. How many uh, how items are we through the list right now? Uh, I think that was six. Okay. <laughs> you want to start whipping through these more quickly? No, let's, let's take as much time as we want. This is, this is good podcasting right here. It could be Reyes. Maybe she stole the ship from Cancer Man. Maybe she was hiding this shit for years from Cancer Man. I'm sure she had her fingers in a lot more things than uh, Cancer Man's tracheotomy. Yeah, so it could be Reyes come to try to rescue them. It could be Doggett. We haven't seen him yet. Maybe he shows up with a spaceship. Oh, God. Could, oh, God. Could you imagine that? He beams down from the spaceship. He's like, 
Agent Scully, what's going on here? Yeah, can you can you picture Agent Dog at me at the one walking down the gangplank out of the spaceship? I mean, that'd be kind of an awesome visual. Okay. Kirsch. <laughs> Kirsch. He's on my list. It could be Kirsch. He's on your list. Oh my god. It okay. could be Kirsch. We haven't seen him in season ten yet. We don't know what's going on with him. It could be Kirsch. Okay. Is it the Fluke Man? Do you think it's the Fluke Man? <laughs> Fluke Man is not on my list. It could, oh. be, it could be the old Roswell biologist guy who met with Mulder at the end of episode one. Oh my god. And maybe he has a spaceship or contacts with somebody with a spaceship. It could be him. Uh-huh. It could be Deep Throat come back from the dead. Maybe he's been hiding out on Mars. Again. Yes. Okay, if we're talking about people coming back from the dead, maybe it's Bill Mulder. <laughs> maybe... maybe He's here to save the day. Maybe it's Samantha Mulder. It's about time we found her again. There have got to be more Samantha Mulder clones running around. Well, Wasn't we, there like a whole gaggle of them? We don't know. <laughs> I don't remember if this person is dead or not. It could be Crycheck. Yeah, uh, he... Crycheck is dead. Well, maybe he's not. Maybe. I mean, after all, Agent Spender showed up again. Is it Agent Spender? I didn't have him on my list. It's low the possibility. <laughs> CNBC Spender. Yeah, yes! maybe CNBC Spender. <laughs> I think we were talking about this off air. I don't know if this got recorded. That Glenn and I were discussing this a couple weeks ago, and we decided that CGB Spender, he would have had a kid with four initials, and the only four initials we came up with was CNBC Spender. Thing is, both C's stand for Cancer Man. Well, this, we figured out the CGB. This was you and Andy came up with what yes, CGB yes. stands for, right? Yes, Andy and I were, were talking... And we decided that uh, Cancer Man's actual name is Cancer Man Gerald Butthole Spender. Yeah, so that's what CGB Spender stands for. And then Glenn and I decided that his son, CNBC Spender, would be Cancer Man National Butthole Cancer Man Spender. <laughs> ah, it is a thing of beauty. Okay, who else could be in the spaceship? It could be the sharp-dressed man. Or <laughs> another undead person from the Creepy Yacht Club. Yes. It could be one of them should come back. Oh, I, I miss the sharp-dressed man. It could be Mulder or Scully from the future. Oh! We don't know. It could be. We don't know. I just rewatched the X-Files pilot recently. It could be Billy Miles in the spaceship. Maybe he showed up again. Or it could be like another throwback to another episode, some like one-off episode victim that we haven't really thought about in 20 years. It's Tony Todd. It could be Tony <laughs> Todd. I, ju I just hope it's not Adam Baldwin. And if it's, if it's not Billy Miles, maybe it's Billy Mays. <laughs> he certainly died mysteriously. Another, I don't believe that story. Another undead character, yes. And, and, and um, it could also be somebody, another... Noted conspiracy theorist who appeared on the X-Files, sort of in the same lane as the lone gunman, it could be Detective Munch. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, that one takes the cake. That's my top ten list of who could be in the spaceship. Your top ten list of fifteen. <laughs> if you count Billy Mays, that's nineteen. Billy Mays isn't really a serious suggestion. I just Oh, oh, he's not? Just after I came up with Billy Miles, I next came up with Billy Mays, you know. Billy Mays here with the cure to the alien disease. Billy Mays here for stem cells. 
Billy Mays here with Alien DNA. You put it in an IV bag and pump it into your veins, and it means you survive the apocalypse. It's only $9.99. Hey, I thought of one. The Alien Bounty Hunter. Yes! I had forgotten about the Alien Bounty Hunter. That was sort of toward the end of my time watching the show. He was in there almost every season, though. Oh, yeah. He, he stuck around a lot. I'm trying to remember, when was his last appearance? I know he was in the baseball episode in, in season seven. Last appearance was the one you were just talking about, where Mulder's in his uh, weird alien fetish chair. Yes, right. Because I think they took him. Ooh, I, whoa, that, that, that uh, naked throne adventure fetish chair is is something that really felt like it was trying to be one of those iconic images for the show and i know it got on the dvd packaging and all that and that's cool <laughs> you know just put davy dukes three quarters naked in a fetish chair on the cover of the dvd i don't remember these episodes i don't remember these scenes i'm just picturing captain sheridan from intersections in real time except naked <laughs> naked uh, limbs akimbo leaned way back. <laughs> hey, I just thought of somebody who could be in the ship. Who's that, in the ship, Andy? Think of it. It is Michael McKeon, uh, Morris Fletcher. <laughs> he had access to all the UFOs, right? Because he was a man in black from um, Roswell. Yeah. That he, would be awesome. That would be like the most like <laughs> the most best reference ever. He, pr- he probably knew the doctor from Roswell that Mulder had as a contact before. <laughs> uh, why I thought of this was because I bought uh, the Lone Gunman series. I'm going to review that because it kind of corresponds with season eight. And there's some weird clip like uh, when you pop in the DVD, there's like a montage of clips before it goes to the menu. And it shows Morris Fletcher in that Mulder chair. <laughs> and so they're like spoofing their own thing. So I really want to see why uh, that Morris Fletcher guy's in that chair. Wow, that is intriguing. And, and I'll look forward to, to seeing those reviews, because I wonder if the Lone Gunman series is uh, worth going back for. I, I, w- I might do Millennium at some point, but I don't know about the Lone Gunman. Um, I'd say uh, the Lone Gunman series is only like 10 episodes, so it wouldn't hurt to try it. Millennium's like three seasons, so um, it depends. But there is a Jose Chung episode of that. That, I think, is even better than the Jose Chung episode of The X-Files. But that's maybe just my preference. But Yes, I, I at least need to see that Jose Chung episode. Because anytime I can get more Charles Nelson Riley in my life, it's a good day. Yeah, because there's, <laughs> there's a clip of Charles Nelson Riley in a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So maybe if he wasn't dead, um, he could be the one. <laughs> oh, if only Jose Chung could come and rescue them. Yeah, I think he, I think he died in the Millennium episode though. So, well, oh, I've got plenty of other dead people here, though, but you know. Yeah, but but I'm pretty sure you know they they can't do CGI Charles Nelson Riley. Should we add Frank Black to the list of people it could be in the spaceship? <laughs> oh my goodness, he wasn't really investigating aliens. What about Terry O'Quinn? Either just... of his characters, really. Yeah, be some random guy. I forgot his second character. I just remember him from the movie. He was uh, he was involved with the Super Soldiers. Oh, that's sort of toward the end of when I was paying attention. Yeah, he he was in the episode in season eight when they teased bringing Mulder back and really just had an extra running through a quarry. Oh, I remember that. I remember that episode where like, dude, yeah, there was a shadow running through a quarry and that was like, oh look, it's Mulder, and 
Yeah, basically. They were waiting at the train station with all this tension, like, ooh, Mulder's coming in on the train, and then the train went by. And, and I remember that that was very that was really one of the last episodes I think I watched, because it was like, yeah, you can't make this show all about Mulder when Mulder's not on the show anymore. Yeah, except in Season 9, it wasn't about Mulder anymore, and it was a lot worse than Season 8. I mean, that's not the sole determining factor, but... Woof. So I listed 18 different people I thought it could be, and you guys added the alien bounty hunter Adam Baldwin and Michael McKeon. So we're now up to 21. And Jose Chong, I guess. Is Jose Chong a serious addition? It would have to be Jose Chong's stunt double. (laughs) (laughs) You idiots! You've captured their stunt doubles! (laughs) How do you say that in Martian? <laughs> uh, does this mean we've gone round the bend on the X Files? <laughs> I'm really setting myself up for disappointment when it's not uh, uh, Michael McKeon next year or whenever it comes back. <laughs> oh, jeez. I liked when he came back in that one and he slapped Scully on the butt. That was cool. Or maybe no, she slapped him on the butt. Yeah, that, that's what it was. You know, out of all of these that I came up with, I think the best visual would be if it was Doggett. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually. I think that would be the coolest. I'm uh, Maybe not necessarily the coolest, but that would be, like, the best initial, like, wow, that looks awesome. That's a cool thing to have happened. I don't know how it would work in a story more than ten seconds into season 11, but... Yeah, I mean, it has to be William or something involving William, because that's what everything has been mounting toward. Well, maybe it's one of these other 20 people and they have William with them, or they know where William is, or they they have been at a secure facility where William is being kept safe or something like that. Hey, you know what? I'm just glad Agent Miller didn't turn out to be William. Oh, good lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was dreading, like, as the episode was airing and I was first watching it, I was dreading when everyone was getting sick and Einstein wasn't getting sick right at that second... I was thinking, oh god, I hope she's not Scully's daughter from when they took her eggs. And then when she was talking to Agent Miller about, oh, we have a son together and we need him, I was like, oh god, please don't have him be William. And I'm just glad that they didn't do that. Well, he's about twice as old as William. Yeah, but he's got alien DNA. Mm. You know, the magic of television, I don't know. I'm just glad that that didn't happen. And and maybe I'm not being fair judging it against disappointing things that I made up in my mind. But I was just glad for that. (laughs) Well, I'm just wondering, since they used Lauren Ambrose in this, I'm wondering how many more series is she going to show up in like the last season tacked on several years later? Because this is sort of becoming a pattern. What else was she in? She played Julie Kitzinger in Torchwood Miracle Day. Oh, God, you're right. I hadn't realized. Yeah, and you know what else she was in? I mean, she's been in a lot of things, but you know what else she was in that we've seen? What's that? She was in, and you'll remember what character she played once I mention this. Okay. She, she was in the great cinematic classic, In and Out. <laughs> oh, In and Out's a classic. In and Out, that's a good movie. What one's In and Out? That was the uh, Kevin Klein, Tom Selleck, Joan Cusack. Oh yeah, Bob have... Newhart. Bob yeah. Newhart was the school principal. Yeah, because he comes out right, or he gets outed. Yeah, he gets outed because one of his students outs him during his Academy Awards acceptance speech. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it, you know that is the rare 
cultural artifact that was about queer people and queer life in the 1990s that still holds up today. I don't know that it holds up that well, but it's just... It's still funny. It's, it's just so fucking funny, you sort of excuse it for its datedness. I mean, it's not like it's as bad as the birdcage. Yeah, that's why I say it's kind of rare. <laughs> well, it's not so bad that you can't excuse it for being hilarious. Yes. But yeah, Lauren Ambrose, she's in Torchwood, Miracle Day, and now she's in X-Files Season 10. So, uh, what other series is going to be brought back five years later and have her in it? You know, this season had some weak points, but the mere mention of Miracle Day (laughs) establishes a baseline that is so, so low Yes. that now I feel even better about this season of The X-Files. Even the two conspiracy episodes that were my least favorite were nowhere near Miracle Day. Miracle Day had the exact opposite problem, actually. You know, I said there were times where the six-episode run felt like it was trying to do too much. It, It was a little like seven or eight episodes squashed into six. Torchwood Miracle Day was four to five episodes packed into ten. Yeah. Ugh. Did you notice in this episode, and I don't know if this had to do with filming schedules or if it was just the demands of the story, but they managed to work Joel McHale into this episode without ever actually having him in the episode. Like, he only ever appears on his own set alone. No, he was at Mulder's house, remember? In the uh, sixth episode? In the uh, first episode, not in the finale. No, in the finale, he was when Scully goes to Mulder's house oh, after he calls right. her. Oh, you're right. You're it, right. It's a brief scene. But yeah, no, you're right. He is there in that point. Okay. I had forgotten that scene. So, speaking of Joel McHale's Martin O'Malley, that still entertains me, so fuck it. <laughs> One thing that I was a little iffy on when the season first started was how of the moment the conspiracies that he's working into these things are. I mean, he really is Glenn Beck here. And in the last episode, that really continued. Not only because the whole Spartan virus storyline preyed on conspiracy theories about vaccines, but he was talking about chemtrails in one of his videos. (laughs) He is really taking a lot of dumbass, real-life conspiracy theories that are of the moment and putting them into this X-Files story in a way that I don't really know how to feel about it. Well, I guess that depends on whether you believe that he is set up as a character who is supposed to be believed. Yeah, that was one thing that I wasn't really sure where to come down on. Well, I don't know if this is what they meant to do, but just by his very introduction as a sort of right-wing conspiracy theorist, you know, Fox News, Glenn Beck type host, I immediately discounted almost everything he said other than the alien conspiracy stuff. Yeah, as soon as he started talking about taking your guns away. Yeah, pretty much everything else he said and everything he said on his show, I just immediately discounted as, you know, that's that lunatic, Sean Hannity, Bill O'Reilly, Glenn Beck kind of shit. And yet, he brings information to Mulder and Scully. He brings Mulder and Scully back together. He facilitates, especially in these two episodes, a lot of the events. And he's sort of talking to the viewer at various points to relay information as well. Uh, There was one thing that I thought of. 
Um, did you think he was kind of like they kind of wrote him like a Orson Welles doing the War of the Worlds, where he's updating everybody on the happenings, and it's kind of like it felt like that to me. I can see how you got that idea. I don't know if I was just like uh, just making a weird connection, or if it kind of was maybe he wrote it that way. Yeah, that's that's an interesting idea, and I think that's something that comes to mind whenever you have one of these apocalyptic news reports. It's just that it's not really something we've seen a lot of in the X-Files before. Well, if you're saying he's like Orson Welles doing War of the Worlds, are you suggesting that the biomedical apocalypse he's reporting on is not actually happening? Well, maybe they could kind of use it that way. Because, oh man, I hate to spoil Millennium, but there's a thing where they do a plague uh, that's kind of like that. I see. just have to watch it yourself. (sighs) Some more reason to watch it, to see what I'm talking about. And then we can have a podcast on Millennium. Oh man, Re- reopening the millennium. Yeah. Why two point zero one six k? Oh, you gotta look out for the bug. Uh, speaking of, I don't think X Files ever quite had the budget to do a sort of large scale plague scene like they got to do in this episode. I thought that was interesting. I thought that was an interesting place for them to go, even though because they never really had the budget before and because everything had to come down to smaller scenes, more character-based scenes by necessity sometimes, this felt kind of outside the X-Files. It felt a little too big. I feel like something like this maybe they could have done in a movie. Um, Of course, then it has to be resolved even more quickly than in a TV show. But the scale of it felt a little bigger than the X-Files. Yeah, I kind of like that with all the cars, like, jam-packed on uh, the highway. But my grandma, actually, um, she laughed at that because she's like, if Martin O'Malley is uh, saying, "Um, everybody, you're sick, stay home, then why are they driving around? She's like, they should be at home, not driving. Because people are stupid and they panic. You know, when whenever there's some sort of natural disaster or some, you know, mass panic like that, there is instantly a traffic jam out of every major metro area. Do you, re- you remember, was it 2003 they had the big blackout in New York City and the bridges out of the city were jammed with people walking out of the city? Are you sure that was from the blackout and you're not remembering something from 9-11? No, it was a blackout a couple of years later. Because the blackout... I remember when they had the blackout in Manhattan and they mostly just had, like, a party. (laughs) Maybe I saw different reports. (laughs) (laughs) Because I remember they compared it because there was, like, one in the 70s where there was a whole bunch of looting and people went crazy. And the one that they had, like, ten years ago or so, people just were just sort of mellow and, you know, had a big party. Yeah, there was a scene like that, too, that I didn't notice it the first time on TV, but I'm re-watching it last night. At the end, where Scully and, like, Miller, I guess, or no, it's just Scully on the street, and she's going uh, to find Agent Miller. Um, there's a bunch of, it almost looks like looting. The guy's going to, like, break into, or he does. He throws a big thing, like, stick or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah talk about ripped no. from the headlines. Of course, the first thing that happens during mass panic is that there's looting. Yeah, and the schoolie's like, oh, no, um, guys, don't do that. It's like, if you're already going to bust into a building, why would uh, some lady saying don't do that stop you? I don't know. That just seemed kind of... Yeah, that was well, kind of... Well, because she's a doctor. <laughs> I like how every road is jam-packed, totally, completely stopped up with traffic. And yet Scully jumps into this giant honking SUV and is somehow able to weave between people to get all the way under the bridge where Matthews is. Whatever bridge that is between 
you know, Washington and South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, the bridge that Sherman's men built to get from South Carolina up into Virginia. That's a long bridge. <laughs> I think it would have to go through North Carolina first. This is the X-Files, you know? Space and time doesn't necessarily work like that. Fair. Oh, I'm sorry to go back to the list. I just thought of somebody for some reason. I don't know why. Who's on the spaceship, Andy? Dwayne Barry. (laughs) You're a liar! (laughs) I think he died, but it would be cool though. Half the people on this list died. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no one really dies on the X-Files. I think that's what Chris Carter said. It's the magic of television. Maybe it's the two kids from Founder's Mutation. Wonder Twin Powers Activate. Form of a Plague. (laughs) Uh, Just looking at the last couple of notes that I had on on these mythology episodes, uh, it stood out to me that the one thing Cancer Man didn't take credit for is global warming. (laughs) No. You know, he kind of points out that, you know, the, the world's going to shit anyway. I'm just taking advantage while I can. You know, and considering all the things in the uh, musings of a cigarette smoking man episode that were attributed to him, you know, for there to be one thing he doesn't take credit for, that's something. Ooh, yeah, did you like the scene where he kind of pulled his nose off, too? That was cool. That was certainly arresting. I'm not sure the visual effects quite stood up. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. His mouth was kind of off, but I don't know. I kind of liked it. But it was a really arresting visual. I'll say that. I like when Mulder pulled himself onto his chair and he's like, I'm on the king's throne. It's soft. It feels soft. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) By the way, why does Mulder happen to be so much worse off than everyone else in the plague? Is he? Well, he's, he's the one who is keeling over and in need of the stem cells, while Miller and Einstein are just a little feverish and... Oh, so he's the worst off out of those four. He's the worst off out of pretty much anyone we see. Maybe there are some people at Scully's hospital. Yeah, there's an entire hospital full of people who can't even be treated because all the doctors are out of commission. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's the guy with anthrax. But out of the people that we actually see for a good portion of the episode, he is much worse off than anyone else. Maybe it's because he was infected with that black oil. And so that's kind of what's making him worse. I don't know. Ah, uh, so that just kind of fucked up his immune system forever? Maybe, because he had the weird pain <laughs> stuff, so maybe it's it's still affecting him. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he has a compromised immune system from years of exposure to aliens. Yeah. Uh, okay, okay, that's fair. Uh, is there anything else either you want to talk about specifically about this episode? Um, I just want to say back to, like, Agent Reyes. This is just the last thing I'll say. Cool. Uh, is that, um, how you said nobody has ever taken a deal before... Yeah, we never saw anyone um, have a reason ever for why they were working with him. Krychek, he just was uh, there. And then Spender, he just kind of like disbelieved anyways. And then even um, Diana Fowley, that one lady in season six, she just happened to be like already working for him anyway. So it's probably the best like writing I've ever seen for anybody being a bad guy is because you could say she only took the deal just so she could learn enough information to then turn it around to give it to Scully. And it's like, everybody was just a bad guy by necessity. Nobody was a bad guy for a reason other than being bad. Yeah, that seems like a kind of a bad deal for Cancer Man to make anyway. Because typically, 
when the evil boss wants to recruit a henchman, you make the punishment for betraying him permanent and the reward that you get for helping him temporary so he can revoke it if you act out of line. If they just injected Reyes with this alien DNA and saved her from the plague, that's a one-time thing and she's free to go betray him then. Yeah. So, you know, may maybe Cancer Man is uh, getting a little soft in his old age. Well, yeah, Mulder's like, well, you're soft, so, yeah, he is soft. Well, he's sort of a one-man operation now, or, you know, like a half-man operation at this point, so maybe he can't quite take all the measures that he used to take, and it just never occurred to him that Reyes betrays. Um, um, I actually thought for a split second where uh, she was going to him, and then he was going to offer something. I thought he was going to be like, hey, where's my grandson at? And use like that for leverage or something. But that never came up, unless maybe it'll come up later. Yeah, you've got to think that Cancer Man, maybe he doesn't necessarily know where William is, but he must know that he exists. And he'd yeah. probably want to find him, if nothing else, than to save him from the plague. <laughs> knows that Reyes exists for some reason. They never, ever interacted before. You would think that he would have to know that he has a grandson. Well, I'm sure he keeps tabs on the X-Files anyway. Yeah. I mean, every time they reinstate the X-Files, someone hits him on the buzz. <laughs> So, at this point, I think we'll move to final judgments on this season. What do you think about the way this season brought the X-Files back? Does it make you want to watch more? Basically, like an overall thumbs up, thumbs down for this season 10 miniseries, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Scott, what do you think? Overall, I definitely go thumbs up because I really liked the four middle episodes. I thought they were, I, at least one of them was excellent, and the others were really good, solid X-Files episodes, and it was nice to see that after, you know, a 15-year hiatus or whatever. So I will go definitely thumbs up. The first and last episode were not my favorite, but I didn't hate them. They were fine. They weren't bad, I don't think. There were certainly bad aspects to them, but they were okay for trying to be giant conspiracy episodes. I think sometimes the X-Files conspiracy episodes, especially in later seasons, are just sort of trying too hard. And these were definitely trying too hard, so that sort of detracted from it. But I don't think they were overall really bad. They were okay. And the other four episodes I really enjoyed a lot, so I was a fan. Yeah, I generally agree. There, there were several episodes that I really liked, and it brought back a bunch of different styles of the show pretty well and gave kind of a capsule view. So I, I think I'm going to go thumbs up, too. I think I mean, I'm definitely going to watch whatever they do next, however many episodes they get next year. And I want to see where they go with some of this stuff, but mostly I just want to see more X-Files stories. I think I mostly whet my appetite for that. Maybe not as much technically what everything is doing in the new mythology, but just being back with the characters and the actors, I thought really hit a lot of those notes pretty well. Uh, Andy, what say you? I'm going to go like thumbs up, I guess, pretty much. Even though I did not like the cliffhanger... I'm going to say, just for the fact the Smoking Man is back and they kind of gave a believable uh, reason for him being back, um, I'm going to say thumbs up. But in terms of watching future episodes, I'm going to have to say I'm going to be like some of our other friends, um, I guess Jope and Mike. I'm just going to wait until it all plays out and then I'll wait and then I'll watch it like um, in a binge watch, I guess. Oh, so we won't be frantically texting during uh, whatever episodes come in the future? 
Well, now you kind of now you've kind of convinced me maybe to keep doing it because we got to keep talking about uh, CGB and CNBC. Yeah, I, I really I really hope they uh, bring in CNBC Spender next season. <laughs> All right, you pulled me back. Just when you thought you were out, right, dude? Yep. All right, Andy. Thank you very much for coming back on the podcast, Scott. Thank you very much for coming back on the podcast. Me, you did all right. On that note, we will say goodbye for now. We will say goodbye to the X-Files for now. We will say goodbye to you, fair listeners, hopefully for a shorter time. We will be back soon with the continuation of our Star Trek vault. But first, let's talk about some of the other things going on at the Place to Be Nation. Andy, I hear that you had a new column go up this past week. Yeah, it's called Squared Circle Cinema, and uh, Greg indirectly kind of inspired me because he made a post about watching Faster with The Rock, and I responded and I said, hey, like somebody needs to um, review WWE films. And then I thought, hey, like why don't we team up? Um, but I think he's out of commission, so I'm, um, he gave me his blessing to do it on my own. So thank you, guys. Yes, that's our, our dear friend Greg Phillips from Place to Be Nation Comics. Good guy, good guy. Yeah. Uh, so yes, check out the Squared Circle Cinema. Uh, the first movie you reviewed was Roadhouse, the yeah. that epic wrestling movie. Uh, well, um, it's not really as much wrestling as I thought, um, but it does have Terry Funk in it, and he's pretty cool. So anything with Terry Funk is wrestling enough for me, baby. Yeah, the Funker. So check that out. Check out any future installments uh, when they come. I, of course, can be found every Wednesday morning in the Wednesday Walk Around the Web, a link roundup of things I find interesting or entertaining in some way. 9 a.m. every Wednesday at placefeenation.com. I can be found in all of the installments of the Glenn Butler Podcast, Our Spectacular. Look up the archive. We're doing some uh, good stuff, I hope. And in some other podcasts that we are trying to set up that will come out in the near future. So... Hopefully, those will come out soon. Hopefully, those will be good. And that will do it for us tonight on the podcast. Thank you so very much. Naturing and kneeling and extending. Well, it's amazing what heating and cooling and heating will do. sure he's streaming something because I told him we were going to be doing this podcast and screaming to each other about spoilers <laughs> and he hasn't watched the show yet so I can't believe Mulder died <laughs>